Welcome to The Ziggler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. In this show, we're holding up self-awareness really as a holy grail of our overall success. I mean, we've often said the most dangerous enemy of our life is what we don't know. And being unaware of ourselves is so detrimental. Uh, It's the things that we're blind to. It's even worse if we're talking about an area where we think or just assume that we are good at and we're actually not, which happens even to the best of us. So in show 655, my guest was high performance coach Alan Stein, and we spent a majority of our time talking about the value and the necessary ingredient of self-awareness. I mean, the reality that even with high profile NBA pro basketball players, which is what Alan has spent so much of his career dealing with again, number one ingredient. And that's what he showcased in his book. Uh, is that self-awareness for long-term success. And he talked to us about NBA players, the average length of time that they spend in there is three years. And then you've got some of the superstars are in there for 15 years. And that's what he's saying. This self-awareness is really interesting. Don't miss that show. So I wanted to put the question as I often do to you guys. So I posted this on Facebook. I asked, what is something about yourself you were once unaware of and now are gratefully self-aware? And how has it benefited you? Then I had Alan himself join me to review your comments. I'll tell you, I feel sometimes that these candid question and answer sessions with you guys, the Ziegler show audience are as profound, if not more than our main interviews where we initially dig into an issue. Uh, Again, with Alan, you can get the full guidance on this topic and self-awareness and more uh, in his book, Raise Your Game. You can find it at raiseyourgamebook.com or, of course, wherever you buy books. So we're going to get started with Alan right after I share some great resources with you. Real quick before we start got a personal favor to ask of you in iTunes. We are nearing a thousand ratings. And if you haven't given us uh, one, would you do that? Just a a quick rating on there. Review is even more golden, but at least just a rating helps us and helps people find us. And I thank you in advance for that. All right, here then, Alan Stein joins me to talk through your comments to this question. What is something about yourself you were once unaware of and now are gratefully self aware and how has it benefited you? All right, Alan, well to dive in first, before we hit some of our Facebook folks, I thought I would put the question to you and I'm sure through this process, there's been more than one thing, but there's probably some acute things that you yourself were unaware of. And now you are gratefully self-aware and it has benefited you. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, you were right. There was certainly uh, no shortage of a long laundry list of things. Um, But the two that jump out the most, and these happen um, during the process of of my divorce and going through some therapy and really uncovering uh, a lot about myself and turning over a lot of stones. uh, One that really had some depth was I always thought I was a family first guy. I mean, I took a lot of pride in that. Um, but I had it brought to my attention that that really wasn't the way that I was living my life, that I was actually giving priority to my business and, and to work uh, way more often and definitely uh, before I was making time, especially to spend with my children. And, and I didn't realize that. Uh, and it was really uh, someone said along the lines of, you know, you, you show me your calendar and you show me your schedule and I'll show you your priorities. And I really put that to the test and realized, you know, I was assigning all of my time to business related things. And then whatever was left over, 
is what I would, would give my children or, or my friends and family. And uh, that really, really hit home with me. So now I, I do the best I can to reverse that and, and make sure that I'm putting family commitments and time with my children on first and, and booking the rest of my life around that one. So wow. that one was very, very profound for me, but incredibly thankful that, that people cared enough to bring that to my attention. Yeah. And then the other one was, uh, and I've referenced this so many different times because it's had the most profound impact on me. You know, I've, I've always thought that I was an attentive and active listener, but not so much. And uh, having people tell me that, you know, that I was more along the lines, and I know a lot of people fall victim to this of, you know, I spent most of my time while the other person was speaking, formulating my own opinion, or in many cases, formulating my own defense to a debate and just waiting for my turn to talk instead of really and truly actively listening to what the other person says. And, you know, when, when you think you're a good listener, but the people closest to you tell you that you aren't, you know, it's, it's the cold bucket of water on the head that I think a lot of people need. And, and I've really worked hard over the last several years to improve that skill set and become a more attentive and active listener. And while I I wouldn't say I'm world-class now, I'm much better than I used to be. And because I'm so focused on it, and it's something that's really important to me, I have full confidence that if you and I chat a year from now, I'll be even better then. Man, that that one speaks close to home and our Ziegler listeners, it will for most of them as well. Uh, show 651, we inter- I interviewed Oscar Trimboli. He has a book called Deep Listening. And you know, somebody had asked me, do I think I'm a good listener? I think I probably would have said yes, and but it would have been from a PR standpoint, even a sales standpoint of, yeah, I listen so that I can formulate even a response that I know that they want to hear, you know, which sounds a little manipulative and, and probably is to some degree. After the show with him, though, he had one, and that was one of them. Uh, he had a label, I can't remember what it was, of I'm listening, but it's to formulate an answer. And But the other one was the lost listener. And it wasn't lost like scatterbrain. It was lost, meaning I'm really thinking about something else that's a yeah. priority. And man, that is me. And that show, gosh, yeah, for accountability here or uh, being candid, that was February 4th. Of course, I, resp- I recorded it earlier than that. We're at the end of February. Let's say it's taken a month. It was this weekend that I actively thought about it while listening to my wife, realizing I was being the lost and I stopped. She, of course, I'm sure she has no idea, but I said, what else about that? Have you not told me, or you tell me more something, you know, again, put it in there. And it was, it was of course significant. And, uh, but goodness, thank you. Uh, for, no, my pleasure. For and, and I think that. a lot of people, and I know I fell, this was part of my issue was that we can often be rather selective listeners. Oh gosh. Like if, yeah. okay. If I think if what you're getting ready to say or what you're currently saying is going to impact me or benefit me, then yeah, I'm all ears. But the moment I realize that it isn't, uh, then yeah, I become easily distracted or my mind wanders or I'm, I'm not as interested. And, and, you know, certainly, uh, I know it's not the intention, but boy, that, that comes from an almost arrogant place. You know, uh, I've always believed that the, the number one mantra of being a coach or being a leader, you know, is it's not about me. It's about you. And, and being able to say that to anybody on your team or in your organization or in your family. And of course, selective listening uh, is the exact opposite of that. You're basically saying, Hey, it's all about me. And if it's not, then I'm not going to listen. So yeah, yeah I'm, I'm very thankful that I've been able to, to improve my active listening ability. And the best part is, I mean, it's, it's truly heightened every connection in my life. I mean, I'm, I'm closer to my kids than I've ever been. You know, my ex-wife and I are, are great friends now, my friends and family and, 
and, and, and even business colleagues and so forth, those relationships uh, have really deepened and, and strengthened the connection simply by me caring enough to actively listen. Well, and of course you hit on uh, an anchor of your entire message, being self-aware. We don't know what we don't know, which is why, of course, folks, I'll tell you shamelessly, go by, raise your game so you can know what you don't know. And, and of course, starting off, that's where we did with self-awareness. That's where I was enamored. That's where we spent most of the first show. And I wanted to dig in and hear what folks had to say. And I'll tell everyone listening, I told this to Alan before we started that when I posted that question, I was really just kind of uh, naturally thinking about what are the negative things that we are not aware of that we've now become aware of and are better for it. Though, as you'll hear here in a second, we had some people who shared something positive about themselves. They were not aware of too. My mind didn't even go there. I don't know what that yeah. says about me, uh, but thank you guys for sharing that and bringing it to my attention. Well, Hey, I'll, I'll just dive in here and let you uh, respond. And, and I actually started out first on this one, which I do some, and I said a big one for me, uh, not being aware of was being uh, not authentic uh, because I'm a people pleaser. I'm there to make everybody happy with me and not be authentic, but it really wore me out in, in, in social arrangements or social uh, encounters. And it also just was, uh, it, it, it wasn't intimate. It wasn't vulnerable. And I am much more at peace when I'm not just people pleasing and realizing, wow, other people like that as well, especially those closest to me. And right off the bat, we had Simon and uh, Ethan say, oh my gosh, that's me. Uh, that's me. And I imagine that's one that you have run into a lot, Alan. Yeah, I, I'm a people pleaser and have been for a long, long time. And, you know, it, it, it took for the realization for me to realize, though, that as good as it does feel to say yes, and, and as much as, as guys like you and I do want to serve as many people as possible, um, that, that many times in life, uh, these are binary decisions that when we are saying yes to someone, we're eventually going to be saying no to someone else. So in this attempt to be pleasing people, we're not actually always pleasing people. We're, we're going to be turning somebody else off for yeah. saying no to someone else and had to give some thought to who those people were. And, and many times going back to me, not putting my children first, if I'm saying yes, for example, to do something with you, if that means I'm saying no to my children, then ultimately am I, am I pleasing the people that I want to be pleasing? Is there any type of, of priority placed on that? And that certainly, I, I know you well enough to know you wouldn't take offense to that. If I was saying, you know, I don't, I don't want to say yes to you if it means saying no to my kids. Yeah. Uh, but, but that's ultimately what we're doing. And in this attempt to try to please everyone is when I realized that that's never going to happen so that we need to guard and protect our time, invest it wisely and with the people and things that matter most and, and do the best we can to serve others. I mean, this is not about, you know, uh, not having the same intentions that we had before as people pleasers. It's just being much more uh, focused and diligent in what, when and what we say yes to, because we absolutely have to guard and protect our time. Yeah. Thank you for the reminder as always. Uh, Josh here says, I've learned that my sense of humor can oftentimes be toxic when focused on others. The saying, what you think of others as a reflection of yourself comes to mind. And I've often found myself making fun of others as a way of dealing with my own personal insecurities. I wish I could say I've fixed my ways completely, but at least now I'm more mindful of this behavioral pattern, which allows for introspection. Whenever I'm tempted, I'm tempted to think or say a snarky comment. I thought, man, that's, that's a, that's a big one. That's yeah, a, it is a big one. And I, I love his, his vulnerability and humility and self-awareness to recognize that. Absolutely. Um, cause that, yeah, I'm, 
I, I would say humor is one of my major defaults. And, you know, especially um, when many times it's, it's inappropriate to find levity in the situation, but that's always been a coping mechanism that I've used. And, and I've had to realize that while that may be a, a very appropriate and authentic and genuine coping mechanism for me to use, that doesn't mean it is for everybody else. So I, you know, have to make sure that if you and I were in a situation where I would feel the need to use humor to, for my own self, that I'm, I'm not, you know, uh, undermining your ability to cope in a different way and that I could say something that's only for my own benefit. And that actually makes things worse for you. So uh, I think that's, that's brilliant that he brought that up. And, and the key is just having the awareness, you know, now hopefully he takes a beat uh, and a breath before he says, in his words, something snarky. Um, mm. But occasionally, I'm sure something will still, you know, get past the guards and he'll still say it. So now hopefully he has the awareness to realize that if he does say something, then, you know, maybe he apologize for it or makes amends for it or at least learns a lesson from it, which is all any of us can do. I mean, with yeah. any of these things that we're trying to improve, no one's going to be perfect. Uh, there are still times where I say yes to others and no to my kids and I end up you know, disappointed that that was the decision I made. There's still times where I say yes to doing something for business when I should have put the family first. There's still times where I'm not the listener that I know I'm capable of. And we can't beat ourselves up over these things. These are simply reps. You know, if this was a basketball game, it's simply a missed shot. And you can't be upset and disappointed and pout about a missed shot for very long. You got to, you know, be ready for the next one. Well, I hear you and I appreciate, yeah, Josh saying that I haven't fixed everything completely, but I'm more mindful and we know the value of just that little tick, move the needle a little bit to be a little more mindful today, a little bit more mindful the next day. Well, here, Tim says, uh, having my leg braces at the age of three stripped me of my self image and security because I was not equipped to be different. Learning to laugh at myself and my flaws in a healthy way has been a big deal. It also trained me for the hardships later in life, especially now as my wife battles for her life against cancer. This guy has posted before and the amount of insight that he's gotten from some of these trials, but he does, he talks a lot about his past and the self image that he had. He's so aware of now and that's a sensitive one for me, having a lot of kids and be involved with, we've got adopted kids and, and, and kids who have been involved um, with some harsh things. And it's daunting because it feels like to some degree, I don't know if they'll, they're never going to forget that the memory is always going to be there and there's going to be some baggage with that, but the ability to at least put it on the table. And yeah, like Josh talked about, be aware to be mindful of it and say no to the baggage that comes along with that and just act in a different way. I, I don't know. I mean, you, you know, that being self-aware, does that mean that you, I get sometimes a little cautious around that word overcome. Cause it sounds like I've done away with it. It's totally gone as opposed to I've, 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 I've managed, I am managing myself beyond this thing, but it still exists. Oh, absolutely. And I tell you just the, 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 the courage to post something like that publicly is, is remarkable. And, you know, as I've mentioned to you before that I really study terminology and I'm a big fan of language and I try to use my words very carefully. And I, and I had a friend, um, talk to me about the word understand because, um, previously, uh, and I forgot the name of the gentleman that just shared that, but previously I would have said something like, man, I, I understand what you're going through as a way to try to deepen a connection and offer some empathy and compassion. Uh, but I found that it actually doesn't do that. It actually creates a divide because I don't have a, a clue 
what that must have been like to have had leg braces at three years old and to, to be subjected to maybe some of the, the adverse conditions that he had to go through. And I believe he said currently his wife is fighting cancer. You know, yeah. I don't, I can empathize the best I can and I can have compassion, but I don't have a clue what that would actually feel like because I've never walked a moment in his shoes. And by saying that I understand how he feels uh, actually um, is not being compassionate. It, it robs him of what the experiences yeah. he has. So, you know, it's, as I hear something like that, you know, first I'm, I'm thankful, you know, as you just mentioned, you know, that, that myself or my children maybe haven't gone through some of those things. Uh, but, but boy, I have such admiration, not only for him sharing that, but for everything that he's gone through. And, you know, with that being said, I'm still a big believer. And this is many times much easier said than done, which is why I don't want to, to make his situation sound light. But everything that the world throws at us, whether it's leg braces or cancer or, or something, you know, um, less than that we always have the choice on how we're going to respond and react to it. And that's the reason we all need to work on our emotional toolbox so that when big things do happen, like leg braces and cancer, that, that we're strong enough to find things in there to help us move forward. And, you know, looking at very grave circumstances like that, that's really challenging and tough. You know, I mean, really the key thing that he mentioned there about leg braces was he was three years old. I mean, nobody has the emotional tool set at that time to deal with those things. So, you know, that's, that's absolutely remarkable. And, and, you know, my hat's off to him. And it sounds like from the, the overall way that he made that post that he has found ways to learn lessons from those circumstances to make the best of them and use them to propel him forward. And that, you know, that's absolutely remarkable. Absolutely. Well, I, I am a fellow lover of words. You actually, there's a, there's a name for that. Have you ever been labeled that? You, no, what's the name? You're a logophile. Oh, all right. I like that. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. but I love language. So I I'll, I'll wear that. I'll wear that badge proudly. I do too. I often am looking up words and go, what do we really mean when we say that? So thank you on that with the word understand. Uh, well, here, and here, here's another one that I found interesting. This is one a coach taught me this, this past summer um, is, and, and remember this all just has to do with connotation and, and connotation is how each of us uh, interprets the meaning behind a word because really words on paper or words said usually, I mean, that's just what they are at face value, yeah. but we all internalize words different and it, there is no right or wrong with that. So just because I may have a negative connotation with the word doesn't mean that the word is bad or that those that have a positive connotation with it are wrong. It's just, that's how we feel. And I've talked all the time about, you know, and I, we may have even discussed that on the previous show. Uh, I don't like the word grind. You know, it's a word yeah. that everybody talks about. You got to wake up and grind. But for me, I don't like that connotation. But the one that was brought to my attention recently, which I thought was really cool, was the difference between unique and special. And that special often has a, uh, a connotation of entitlement. You know, mm -hmm. I'm special. I deserve special treatment as opposed to unique, which is what makes each of us different. You know, when we talk about, you know, fingerprints and snowflakes, each of us are incredibly unique. We have unique talents and gifts. So uh, I found in my own language that, that many times when I was using the word special, I've now replaced that with unique. Uh, but again, doesn't mean there's anything wrong with using the word special. That's just how I interpret the word. And when someone tells me that, that they're special, then I 
think that they might feel entitled to special treatment. Yeah. So I just thought I'd throw that out because it just popped into my brain. No, I appreciate it. It's actually a great segue into the next uh, comment here. And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. So Jonathan Daly here, he says, uh, recently I've become very aware of both my rose tinted view of the future and my careless approach to numbers. Couple that with the desire to be awesome. There's a recipe for disaster. So I'm now slowing it down. When I get ebullient talking business, I just take a few breaths, qualify that, Hey, I'm, I'm prone to exaggeration. Then recall what is actually important about what I'm saying. It's a work in progress, but I'm about a billion times better for slowing down a bit. Well, and I'll put this to you because, um, Alan, yes, that's some of my history. I am a a consummate optimist. I love shooting for the stars, that kind of thing. Now, what I found out though, after being married is that when I talk about shooting for the stars and hitting the stars, my wife is now looking at the stars and expecting the stars. So if we only hit the ridge over there and I'm kind of stoked because I'm, I'm a lot further than I was. So we're only she's disappointed. I thought we were going to the stars. And so is it bad that I, as Jonathan talks about, can get ebullient about the goals and the aspirations? It's not for me. Um, I don't know if it's a bad thing, but for my wife who wasn't used to that, when I talk about, Hey, we're going to go from here and I think we can go to there. I mean, she's, she's there. God bless her. She's ready to be there. And we don't hit that. It's, it's really disappointing. So it was, a an awareness for me and a change in, in relation to her, even though the issue itself, like you just talked about a minute ago, may or may not be bad. I don't know. Is that something that comes into the fray of talking about self-awareness? Obviously we're being self-aware to better connect with people, better relate to people, be a better human. And it's not all about right or wrong. Is that a, is that a, a necessary issue to look at? I guess. Well, as much as I love language, I need to Google ebullient real quick. Right? That's, <laughs> that's outside of my uh, pay grade right there. What a brilliant Very word. excited. We'll go with it. Very yes. excited. Adding to my, adding to my vocab. <laughs> uh, I think it's a few different things. One, you know, for me being, or at least aiming to be incredibly process driven, you know, uh, I, I want to shoot for the stars as well, but I try not to spend, <clears throat> excuse me, very much of my time or mental and emotional currency uh, looking at and or worried about said stars. I try to focus on the process of what can I do now? What can I do today? Yeah. What can I do this week that will increase the chance of getting to those stars? So while they're out there, uh, I try not to spend much time or, or focus on them. Uh, but the other thing we have to appreciate, and this sounds like this could be just a slight difference between you and your wife, which is awesome, is you know when you, you look at love languages and you look yeah. at Myers-Briggs and DISC assessment and all of these different tools, you know what, what they actually tell us to me isn't as important as the fact that we're all different, we're all unique, that we, we uh, interpret things differently, that we have different personalities, we have different work styles, we have different learning styles, we have different ways we feel appreciated. So it's important to learn those uh, especially about those that we're closest with uh, and, and those that we lead, you know, to be able to know what you've already pinpointed, which is, you know, y- you can focus on the stars, but that could end up causing a divide between her if she does as well. So then it's a matter of finding kind of a happy medium, finding a way to communicate with each other uh, so that you're both in your strength zone and you're both doing what you need to do to prepare for a wonderful future, but those things might be different or at least handled and communicated 
in different ways. Um, yeah. And that's the biggest one for me now is, is just simply always stepping back and reminding myself that everyone doesn't see the world the same way I do. Even my three children don't. And they've got half of my DNA and they're going to look at things differently. So I have to be careful that I'm not, you know, placing judgment and or uh, almost expecting and forcing people to view the world the way I do because they won't and, and to embrace and appreciate that and, and be able to have that, say in this case, that conversation with your wife where, where you can discuss the differences in how you all approach the future and shooting for the stars. Because once you're on the same page, then it's okay that if you guys do things differently, uh, there's, no, uh, there's no dysfunction or disconnect in, in that conversation. Yeah, well, I appreciate Jonathan saying, "Hey, I'm I'm prone to exaggerate some as a caveat. That's that's vulnerable that. and authentic." Well, speaking of vulnerable and authentic, here's our next one. I think the shortest submission we had, David's story. He says, "I recently became aware of my severe halitosis. The struggle is real." Uh, man, that that's killer. That is one. And being, uh, in sales all my life, I'm always aware of that. And I'm aware of it in others. Cause we are talking face to face. And I think we have a lot of people with a lot of different pathologies these days. And that is one that can be really put off. And I'll hear that from other people. We're in a medical practice and, and, and they're all, they're actually paying attention to that from a, a medical standpoint to say, man, something is not well there. And it's just like uh, personal hygiene and whatever, but not many people are aware of it one. And if they do have it, not many other people are willing to tell them because that's, that's a little, uh, it's a little vulnerable there, but man, that's a big one to just, that's very basic, uh, but significant. Yes. Incredibly significant. Yeah. Uh, again, I, I, it's like, I'm a, a broken record with all of these people, how much I admire mm-hmm. their ability to be vulnerable and to share these things. And, you know, something like that is tough because I, I can only imagine that, you know, uh, on some level you think, okay, well maybe this person doesn't have control over that. Thus I don't want to hurt their feelings and, and say something, you know, if, if, if you were, and you and I have never met face to face. So I'm sorry if this sounds weird, like maybe, maybe you're on the shorter side and you're a little self-conscious about your height. Well, there's nothing you can do about that. So for me to make a remark about your height, doesn't really do it because there's no way to solve it. And that yeah. could be something that people have thought, okay, he has halitosis. You know, I don't want to make him feel bad for it because maybe there's nothing he can do about it is yeah. one thing. And then the other, yeah, maybe, maybe people, it's just an uncomfortable thing to bring up, but uh, I don't know enough ab- about that to know outside of possibly changing the diet and mm-hmm. masking it with, you know, mints and gum. And I you know I'm sure he's tried everything, but maybe there is something to dive a little deeper uh, that, that, can help him with that. But yeah, most of the time it does come back to having people in your life that care enough about you to tell you the truth. And in Mm -hmm. this case, I would just guess people maybe didn't mention it before Mm -hmm. because similar to height, they thought maybe he can't do anything about it. So let's not make him feel worse, but I'm I'm glad he found it. And I, I sure hope uh, he can find something to help him. What a great thing for us all to do a personal audit. If you feel comfortable enough to ask people, say, man, do I I have bad breath? Now my, my wife will tell me, uh, for sure. Thank goodness. And I know, yeah, based on what I eat, what I don't eat. Now I tell my business partner, he's the doc. Uh, and so he's going in and I'll tell him sometimes, man, you need to yeah, get a breath mint before you go into the next patient or something. Ah, yeah, I had onions and, and whatever. But that's a great thing to be, uh, to have somebody who will let you know, because that is something that from a PR standpoint, it absolutely 
matters as you well know. Well, David, thanks for sharing that. Well, here's one that again, went to the positive side that I wasn't expecting. Barb uh, Goni, she says, uh, I suggested we write messages in cards to each other, telling uh, each other at work, something we appreciated about them that isn't work related. The ones she got back revealed that people thought she's an excellent conversationalist and very knowledgeable that she brings people together. She says, I wouldn't have guessed uh, all that based on my own self-assessment. Now that has been pointed out, I can see it's very true. It's pretty much me and it's encouraged me to ignore the self-doubt questions that pop up every now and then. So she's talking to how many of us are not aware. How, well, how, how often do you find that people who are not even aware of uh, the word that came to mind, I don't know if it's the best word to use is of their own glory, their own mm-hmm. gifts, talents, abilities, whatever, who are not really aware of that. And maybe because of that, not flourishing as much as they can, it's got to come up a lot in the realm that you work in. Absolutely. I mean, it's, I, I love that. I mean, you and I were both, I think on the same page, thinking more along the lines of, of say weaknesses or mm-hmm. things that we'd want to improve that we would want to uncover. But it, boy, it's really a, a breath of fresh air to find something positive that she was able to uncover. Yeah. Uh, and, and we've said before, you know, really the only way to achieve true self-awareness is to ask other people. It's to ask the people closest to us. And then self-awareness is achieved by closing the gap between the way we see ourselves and the way the rest of the world sees us. You know, as I mentioned earlier, when I said I wasn't a very good listener, but I thought I was, I had very low self-awareness because the way I viewed myself was very different than the way the outside world saw me, which is kind of comical because if back then, if I would have said, I'm an awful listener and everyone else agreed with me, I actually would have had higher self-awareness. Um, so in her case, it's wonderful that she's been able to you know, be given the gift of people telling her something that, that is really a strength and something unique about her that makes, you know, uh, that, that, that she can double down on. And I'm, I'm glad she was able to find that out. And yeah, uh, many times doing these self-awareness audits will bring those things to light. And yeah, I, I do hope it helps her eradicate some of that self-doubt. I wish I was quick enough to come up. There's a, there's an old quote and people will, will remember having heard it, but something about, you know, it's one thing to, not know what you, what you don't know, but it's another to to not know something or not be something that you really think you are. Like you talking about that being a good listener and you're really not, that's the, like, that's the most dangerous or that's what a fool is or something like that. It was a great quote that I I can't come up with, but oh my goodness. Yeah. It's one thing to just be ignorant. It's another to be that blind and think you're good at something that you're really not. And I've been caught there, uh, more than once actually. Yeah. Well, well, basketball players, see, we say all the time, it's, it's not the player that takes a bad shot that you have to worry about. It's the player that takes a bad shot that doesn't know it was a bad yeah. shot. Those yeah. are the ones there's a problem because they're going to yeah. keep taking that shot over and over. And, you know, for all of us, we can't see our blind spots. That's why they're called blind spots, yeah. but we have to have the openness and the vulnerability and the humility to know that we do have them. So I know that I have blind spots. I just don't know what they are, hence the name. So I have to you know, insulate myself with people that can help me see them and that love me uh, and care enough about me and that there's equal trust where they can share those things with me because I simply can't see what I can't see. And, and more times than not, I think we skew towards uh, the negative where they would tell me because I can't see it. In this case, it's a great reminder that we need people around us that can tell us the things that we do really, really well that we might not be acknowledging because blind spots can be, you know, positive or negative. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to sidestep just a second, Alan, and, and ask from a personal development, you know, standpoint, 
I mean, on one side, we don't want to chastise ourselves for being ignorant, for being unaware. I mean, that doesn't help anything, but there is an, or, or wouldn't you say there is an aspect of, I, I don't know what word to use, maturity, even responsibility for us to seek awareness. Again, where you start your book out that, that it is our responsibility to seek awareness. Like you talk about so much, you've been so open about you as a parent that you would say it's your responsibility to figure out where you're missing it as a parent. So again, not to, I don't know what the balance there. So it's not to, uh, again, to, to really dog ourselves for being ignorant and, and unaware, but it is our responsibility to become aware. That's something we have to either desire and, and strive towards or not. Yes. And we have to work towards it and be open towards it. And uh, I do believe that much of that comes simply through maturity and through life experience. You know, as you get these reps in life, you know, um, it, without doing any internal work, I would imagine most people are more self-aware at 40 than they were at 20 yeah. and are even more self-aware at 60 than they were at 40. But just imagine if you couple the momentum you create from, from life experience and maturity and age, if you couple that with the open intention to be open and try to attract the, the self-awareness and to look for these different blind spots. Uh, that's to me, that's the recipe for, for true happiness and fulfillment and success and significance, but certainly uh, for the, for the most heightened form of self-awareness that you can. It's, and we just always have to remember too, that, that this is a continual process. This isn't anything you ever arrive at. You don't ever become fully self-aware. This is, it's going to ebb and flow. And, and even within the same week, Guys like you and I can have higher self-awareness on a Monday than we do on a Tuesday, and yeah. it's going to go up and down, and, yeah. and we have to be okay with that. So this is a process uh, until this whole show is over, uh, not the show you and I are on. I'm talking about the show of life. Until, until this thing is done, we should all be constantly striving for heightened self-awareness, but have the grace and compassion to cut ourselves some slack uh, on days where we're not as aware. That's a great quote right there. Uh, there. There's a meme right there. I think you just created. Yeah, yeah I literally, I, I think I, I want to create a temporary tattoo company for some of those things. And I put in the thing that I need to remember today because I'm going to forget it. I'm going to get up off the couch this morning and I'm going to go. And at two o'clock, I remember, oh my gosh, I, I totally forgot. And I, and I missed it. So there we go. Anybody want to do a temporary tattoo company, contact me. Oh, man, uh, I love it. Josh, hey, talk about a candid one. Josh uh, Polison. He says, I've realized I usually hate, that's a strong word, speaking of words, hate other people's new ideas if they change the direction I had in mind for a project. The ideas could be way better than mine and usually are, but I still hate them the first time I see them. What I try to do now, if I have time, is see or hear the concept, take time away, return later to give my feedback. If I can, I'll sometimes get feedback from my peers uh, who have no fear of telling me if I'm wrong. I found that knowing this about myself helps me when I initially see a new idea. I know I'll have an initial gut reaction and give myself time to truly digest the idea or work before providing feedback. This way I can actually take a step that's best for the project rather than what I just feel, feel is in line with my vision. I, I'm afraid that stuck out because he stepped on my toes. Um, and that's, I, it is strong. I hate to hear other, that's a, that's a big realization. Yeah, that's huge. Uh, once again, the, the vulnerability shown in these different emissions is, is remarkable. And, you know, it, for this being the first time that I'm hearing that, uh, my guess is there's some tremendous depth and some backstory and baggage that, yeah. that 
underlies that that he may not even be aware of that and that's certainly beyond my professional scope to be able to diagnose or offer anything but it, it could be something that's deeper that that other people that have ideas that conflict with him is triggering something uh, from his past that that conjures up some real you know visceral emotions and in this case you know him using the word hate and you know and, and bringing on anger and so forth uh, that might be something that that he would want to sit with or maybe even you know seek some outside help to figure out why is that happening uh, but i love his solution of kind of taking a beat uh, taking a breath trying mm-hmm. to go back not coming with up up with any type of knee jerk response or reaction but sitting with it a little bit you know and, and i found this with myself and even with some others you know uh, i've often been incredibly opinionated and have very strong views on very specific issues and and because I love terminology, I've tried to shift in to start worrying more about what's right than who's right. And, and often I would be so tied to my own ideas or my own plans or my own strategies that, as he mentioned, when someone came along with something better, in my mind, it was binary. And I thought, well, if we go with Kevin's idea, that means his idea is better than mine, which means he won and I lost. Mm-hmm. I don't like to lose. So I'm going to fight this tooth and nail to get it my way even though that's not what's best for me, what's best for you, or in the confines of a team or organization, what's best for us. So uh, if you can check your ego at the door and focus more on what's right and less on who's right, maybe that's something that would be able to help. That can be book two, check your ego at the door. Um, <laughs> yes. You know, there are so many to hit on here, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do one more, Alan. And this one, okay. it's not even the focus of it so much. It's just, again, the depth of it, because we're talking about some, you know, halitosis, very important one, but pretty mm-hmm. simple, direct one. Some of these, like the one we just did, we're talking about some massive life perspective shifts. So on that, Michael Kevin, I was praying on Monday morning and God revealed to me that I was treating my wife and kids as possessions and objects, and they are not mine, that they are his and I am just their steward. I don't know the results yet. What I hope to gain is some inner peace and and understanding. That's it. So this is brand new for this guy and to take, and, and on this, obviously he states this from a faith-based standpoint, but just again, if I think regardless of, of where somebody is in their faith perspective to look at, in this case, his spouse, his spouse and his kids. And I think there's a lot of parents out there that outside of a spouse that, that look at your kids and they go, are you, are you God? Are they your possessions? They're your objects. We know a lot of people, oh my gosh, the world that you live in with parents uh, living vicariously through their kids. Uh, this has got to come up, but that, talk about a major paradigm shift to view these people, the most intimate people in his life that he's involved with and to realize, man, they are not, he's not God. He's not Superman. It's not his control. It's not, not, not everything is up to him. That's a major shift. And I don't know. I'll let you speak to that because Michael's saying this as something that he just found out. I, I, I appreciate it. You also say, Michael, I don't even know the results. I just, I just arrived here. Now, what do I do with it? Isn't that going to happen a lot of times in self-awareness? We're, we're now aware and don't necessarily know where to go with it. Yes, that's going to happen a lot. But take some solace and, and, and take a quick breath and a smile knowing that, that self-awareness is such a major first step yeah. that it's okay if you don't have the answers. It's okay if you don't know the result. Uh, but now you're on the path to getting those things 
because you, you toppled the first domino, which is always the most important one, which is having the awareness to know this. Because uh, it, it, from what he said, it sounds like this was one of his blind spots before, and now it's not. And that's where he should be incredibly thankful that, that, that he came to this realization. And you know, as we talk about language, I mean, man, the, the, just the visceral response I feel when I hear someone call a human being a possession, yeah. man, that, that connotates you know, real strong emotion. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm very thankful he's at least on the first step to this journey. And you know, really, it's, it is, it's, it's how you, you view relationships. And you know, I'm very amicably divorced, so the last thing I'd ever do is give anyone some marital advice. But you know, even as I was going through that, and even now as I'm single and, and in the dating world, you know, I realized that uh, relationships, yeah, it's not about control or jealousy or envy. It's about finding some, it's, it's about becoming happy yourself and then attracting someone who's also happy themselves. And then together, you know, you guys can make sweet music and you enjoy each other's company. But the only way you can do that is for each person to be their own individual that, that, you know, has, has self-awareness on their own so that you guys can be happy together. And there's, there's no way you would be able to accomplish that if you actually felt and viewed someone else as your tangible possession. I mean, you'd have to have the confidence in knowing, hey, to this other person, you're free to leave anytime you want. If you don't feel like this relationship uh, is what you need, then there's nothing I want to do to keep you here. And that way we, we, we live a life of, and this is very applicable in, in the performance space, is that we want to earn everything and not feel entitled to it. You know, if, if I was married, I would want to earn my wife's love and I would want to earn her respect. And I need to do these things every single day, not feel entitled to them. Hey, we had a ceremony and signed a piece of paper. So I'm entitled to your love and I'm entitled to your affection. And I'm no, these are things that regardless of marital status, we should try to earn every single day. And, and I don't see that being in harmony with viewing someone as a possession, you know, so it, uh, yeah, it, I, I'm just enamored by your Facebook following and the things that mm. these folks have shared this. I, I didn't know we were going to get to quite this depth on your show. This is really awesome. It, it, it is amazing what people share. And I'm always so grateful because I know that they are speaking for so many people who did not respond, who may not have been comfortable to share that. So it is, uh, uh, yeah, I appreciate the courage that everybody has here. And man, I appreciate yours as well. And being as open, as authentic as you are with your own journey here. And, and I'm grateful that you put the book out uh, and that you're giving us the opportunity to dig in, man. So thank you for, again, for your third time of being with us and uh, giving us your gift and helping us all be a little more self-aware. I don't know if there's anything we will benefit from more. Thanks again, Alan. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, there you go, friends. I'm admittedly enamored with this topic of self-awareness. If you haven't figured that out by now, I'm concerned that most of us aspiring types somewhat assume we are very self-aware uh, and maybe we are compared to the norm of society. But what if that makes us a five on a scale from one to 10 instead of a two or three? It's still not that great. And just a lot of room for improvement that is of gigantic benefit. Again, you can dig into Alan's counsel more at raiseyourgamebook.com or you can find Raise Your Game wherever you buy books. If you got value from this show, would you let us know? Leave a review in iTunes for The Ziggler Show, especially naming Alan is a great gift. Uh, so I'm going to fill you in on our next show after I share some great resources with you. 
Well, coming up next in show 661, it's our habits show. So what are the healthy habits of an emotional fitness sensei? I was, I was curious about that. Uh, Miles Adcox, he's our guest today. And after our main conversation with him in show 657, I was eager to walk with him through the seven spokes on the Ziggler Wheel of Life. Uh, longtime show listeners know I find great peace and roots in the outdoors. Well, Miles recently posted this in Instagram regarding the outdoors, and we talked about it on the show. He said, it's been in my blood for generations, and I'm thankful for Mother Nature and her unique way of taking me back home. So we talked about that, but I was also intrigued just to hear he has four guys he meets with three or four times a week to work out but not just a physical workout. They also give focus to the emotional and spiritual aspects or workouts of their lives. Uh, regarding his habits to keep relationships well, he does a lot of repair work. It was a really interesting conversation, meaning he realizes rips are going to happen and his priority is making sure he makes adequate reparations. Well, so these and other inspirations in the next show. Till then, folks, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. <music> 